1: with your host Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. A very special episode today. And I truly mean that. I know I say that a lot, but I actually think this one might be the most special. I don't know. Definitely the the biggest guest, biggest name guest we've had on the show. Bernie Williams. I told this to him, and I truly meant it. This was a thrill. Um, For someone who grew up in the 90s, fell in love with baseball, watching those 90s teams, being able to talk to Bernie Williams about baseball for a half hour was pretty surreal. Bernie is currently working with Blue Fairy, the Global Liver Institute, and ASI to launch the One Liver to Love initiative to raise awareness about liver cancer and encourage others to be proactive when it comes to liver health. Um, definitely encourage you to go to onelivertolove.com to read about Bernie's four bases of liver health. We talk about that a little bit in this podcast, but it's a really great cause and Bernie was generous to, to give his time to the pod to talk about this and obviously talk about the Yankees and talk about his playing days. On the last ALCS reaction episode, I I teased that we have a big guest. Hopefully he doesn't bail. We did have to reschedule, but the podcast did happen. I'm very excited for you guys to listen to it. I hope you enjoy it and we will talk to you later this week.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: Very thrilled to bring on to the podcast now, Bernie Williams. Uh, Bernie is working with Blue Fairy, the Global Liver Institute, and ASI to launch the One Liver to Love initiative to raise awareness about liver cancer and encourage others to be proactive when it comes to liver health. Bernie, thank you so much for taking the time. Welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me, man. So-
1: I'm, uh, I'm a nineties kid. That's when I fell in love with baseball. So I'm sure you get this a lot, but those nineties championships teams are, are the reason I'm doing this podcast today. Maybe you don't get that last part a lot, but anyway, does it ever get old talking about those days?
2: Uh, no, actually, no, it gets, uh, actually a little bit brighter every time because uh, as you get older, you know, things kind of start fading away. And the fact that, you know, still pretty much present in the memories of, uh, uh you know young adults like yourself i mean it's just a great thing to be remembered by so i, I certainly embrace it and uh, uh you know it, it is great to have you know the opportunity to be able to do that and uh, still be remembered like that
1: i also think the fact that there has not been like really a, a repeat champion since you guys did it just goes to show how special those years were
2: yeah those years were really special because of the fact that uh you know uh, is it was hard enough to win one uh and uh to be in the playoffs in the in the post in the postseason every year uh it was hard enough but that uh, we managed to win four out of five uh and then they actually managed to win uh, in 09 without me so <laughs> but but it was i mean it, it just a testament to how hard it is and how maybe as a team, we were kind of spoiled, you know, to think that we were going to be there every year. And, and actually, we basically spoiled the fans, too, to expect us to be there every year. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do, but it, uh, great to be a part of that experience.
1: Yeah, you guys might be a little bit to blame for the fans today, expecting championship every single year, because that's what you did for a good amount of time. Um, I don't know how close you are to any of the, the current players.
2: Uh, I am fairly close. I mean, I'm closer to the coaching staff than I would be to the players. Uh, I try to stay in contact with Aaron and and Hensley Mullins was my old roommate and teammate in the minor leagues. And we actually came to the big leagues uh, together around the same time with the Yankees. uh, And uh, and a lot of these guys, you know, working in the front office. Now, actually, I have a better relationship now with uh, more of the uh, corporate side. I'm uh, doing meet and greets and uh, they put me like an old ox out to pasture. Uh, but it's, a, <laughs> well, but it, it's, it's cool. It's, it's it's really cool thing to do too.
1: Well, I know because you threw out the first pitch at game four. It's like when you get that message, like, I oh, got to go out back and warm up oh the arm.
2: I, I'm still feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> How many warm-up throws? Oh, my God. I got I had to do, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15. Trying to make sure that my, my shoulder was not going to fall off my arm as I threw the ball. Well, and... Uh, It is it is funny because they keep telling you I run into somebody and tells me, hey, don't bounce it. Then I run into uh, uh, Aaron Boone and he said, well, don't bounce it. And then I (laughs) ran into uh, Rob Cucuzzo, which is the equipment manager, said, oh, whatever you do, don't bounce it. So I was (laughs) like, "Okay, I'm not going to bounce this.
1: Throw it up to the press box.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think you're better off doing that.
1: uh yeah i know i think um i don't know if you did watch the derek jeter documentary that was out over the summer but when i think he mentioned when he threw out the first pitch he was more nervous for that than any at bat he took in the major leagues
2: yeah yeah it is true because i think you only have one shot to make it and uh you know most likely you want to be a strike uh and then it's basically how you set the tone you know for the rest of the, the night you know uh, you could be in the bloopers or you could be in the highlights. <laughs> yeah, you could be like you could be like 50 cents throwing it throwing it sideways. Oh man, that, that was not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that and, good.
1: and that's kind of gotta be a weird spot for you on Sunday, right? Because the team's down 03 and uh you know they end up getting swept. So it's like you're you're coming in there. Obviously, fans are cheering you and, and you're excited to be there. Everyone's excited to see you, but then there's like that undertone of the team is potentially ending its season on that night.
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of hard to see them uh, being sort of against the wall in that situation. Uh, I uh, man, uh, it just kind of I mean, regardless of that sentiment, I was uh, really glad to be there on the field and uh, sharing you know a moment with them. I was trying to be as encouraging as I could uh, and uh, trying to get them see the game as you know for what it was. You know, just take the one pitch at a time, you know, one at bat at a time, and uh, uh, I think they. Uh, They fought hard, but uh, unfortunately they came out on the short end of that.
1: So reportedly they used the Red Sox 4 footage. I'm sure you've, you heard about that before the game as motivation. Um,
2: Yeah. yeah, There were some rumblings. Uh, Yeah. That was, what are your thoughts on that? I I don't know. I mean, I I guess the point was that it has been done before,
3: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, not necessarily, you know, against that team, uh, of uh, being the Yankees, being you know on the on the short end of that particular situation, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean it was uh, uh, hard memories. I mean, as as much as I have great memories in in my data bank, you know, uh, all the World Championships and all the uh, Gold Gloves and all that individual and uh, collective accolades that we have, you know, those the ones that you don't get are the ones that kind of stick out, you know. 03 against the Marlins and uh, 01 obviously against the Diamondbacks and 04 against the Red Sox. I mean, for me, those are the ones that I'm in. I kind of relive those, you know, uh, from time to time, and try to figure out, you know, the things that I could have done better. But uh, now is water under the bridge, man, and uh, it's uh, it's just part of the the good and the bad and the, and the great that was you know thing that was playing with the Yankees.
1: Yeah, I mean I I I certainly that oh, the 04 is is a bad memory for for fans and obviously much worse for for you guys as players, but it's it still does not in my mind cloud everything else that that happened in those those years. But I think it's you know, it's cool for you because you came in when the team wasn't so great on on the on the way up, then you were there for the dynasty, so you got to experience both winning and losing with the Yankees.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was uh I mean, you get to appreciate the good times once you have gone through some of the bad times. And uh, I think, you know, the early 90s, there was a, a, a sense of turmoil. Uh, and not only, you know, the team on the field, but the organization as a whole uh, had a lot of uh, uh, controversies surrounding, uh, you know, our former owner, Mrs. Steinbrenner, and uh, all the situations that sort of uh, precipitated uh you know his suspension and then subsequently uh them forging the team that became you know the team of the 90s uh there was a, an interesting set of circumstances that kind of led to that uh, happening uh so uh it was interesting to see uh how that uh you know was unfolding as a player um uh, coming from that background of not knowing if you're going to get traded or if you're going to be part of a you know another uh, scheme or maybe agenda of, you know to bring other players or are you going to remain in the team there's a, that level of uncertainty that was uh unnerving as a young player you, n- you don't know where you're going to end up and i'm just so glad that things worked out and uh, the way they did you know for me
1: at what point in your career does that leave your mind and and you get over that uncertainty? Is it when you make the major leagues? Is it when you get your first contract? Like when for you did that, did that you get past that?
2: I I think the moment you uh, think like that, that's the moment that everything starts unfolding for you. Mm -hmm. I think uh, you are trying to be realistic and practical with your decision-making. But at the same time, as far as mental attitude is concerned, I was of the mind of saying, hey, you have to earn your your keep here day in and day out because the moment that you start thinking that you have a secure position, that's when this whole thing is going to bite you right in the rear end. So I always kept this attitude of, you know, I have to prove to these people that I, that I belong here and that I'm part of this organization on a daily basis. And that was the, probably the thing that kept me there for so many years. Do you think that, you know,
1: obviously a lot of you guys on those teams had that mentality. That's why you were able to win multiple times. Where where does that come from? Is it all of you guys sort of shared that characteristic? Was that from ownership? Was that from the Joe Torrey? Like,
2: where do you think that sort of came from? I think it was a common, I think, I don't think it was one thing for sure. I think it was a combination of factors. I think we had a good core of players coming in through the minor leagues that were, that whole thing was forged by G Michael and Buck Walter and, and uh, Mark Newman and all those guys kind of like put together this team. And they actually had a little bit of uh leeway to operate, yeah. uh, you know, trade that, you guys. That, yeah. At that time, once the team got put together, uh, then it was just a matter of keeping us together. So I think, you know, they were talking about having a, a big payroll and, uh, you know, uh, in those years, but I think the money was spent in a way that allowed us to remain together for a long time, at least at the, the main core of the team. You know, when you talk about Derek and Mariano and Jorge and, uh, uh, and um, you Andy. know, and then the, uh, Andy Pettit and then all the ancillary parts that came, you know, there were people that had. Ex- have had experience there were either veterans in their prime or just maybe slightly after prime uh but there were just consummate professionals and team players that were able to buy into uh what became joe torres philosophy you know for for the team uh you just uh, you know play your your heart out and be on time and uh and you know that was basically the two rules that he had and uh we were able to uh manage a team that was uh very supportive of each other i think there was a friendly competition a competition amongst us but it was just for the benefit of the club i think when it came time to actually make decisions for the benefit of the collective rather than the individual 99 percent of the personnel on that team chose to play for the team uh in those circumstances where it was the bullpen you know kind of setting it up for mariano mariano just kind of coming through and, and producing You know, with ice cold veins, uh, me, uh, us producing, you know, in the clutch, having this, you know, kind of like mentality of just fighting all the way, uh, you know, to the end and never giving up. Uh, So it was, a, you know, a collective attitude that was was, uh, uh, sort of put together there and left there for a long time. And that's why the team spent the money to keep us together. I think that was a big part of our success.
1: Yeah. And, and after the 98 season, you, you were in free agency, you, you almost left, obviously ended up staying. I'm sure for all of those reasons you just mentioned, you wanted to stay with the team. Uh, You wanted to stay with all of your teammates. I mean, I can't help, but think of, you know, judge going into the off season this year. Um, Also, you know, franchise player came up to the system. Um, If you could put yourself in his shoes right now, what he's thinking um, you know, what was your, what was your thought process entering free agency that off season?
2: Well, I think I will be probably in a better position than I would be at uh, the beginning of last season. Uh, I think that, um, uh, to me, uh, he had a conundrum to, to say, well, would I take the security of a contract right now? Or do I bet on myself? Because I think I'm maybe worth a little bit more than what they're offering me. And he, he chose the latter. And uh, he led the bat, his bat and his fielding and his playing speak for itself. Uh, so now I think he's got all kinds of leverage, uh, you know, uh, to be in a, in a great position. Uh, and I think things are working even more in his favor because he knows that the Yankees are not the only uh, suitor. Uh, I mean, he has a lot, a lot of other options and a lot of teams that will be interested, interested in uh, pursuing him as part of their organization. So I think the ball is in the court of the Yankees right now. They took the gamble on, you know, maybe just him not having the year that he would expect, but he actually had probably exceeded all kinds of expectations, (laughs) you know, kind of tinkering with a a triple crown and having probably just the best year that anybody could ever have in any moment in your career. And he just timed it in the way that, I mean, he's just in in his uh, year of his contract where he's about to, probably make a a, a lot of money right now uh, because of that decision that he made. And and the Yankees now have the challenge of uh, competing with all these other clubs to try to uh, keep him.
1: Well, it's kind of a similar situation to you. You won the batting title in 98 and in your last year with the Yankees. So that was also a a put up season for you. uh, uh, Prove it to the team. Here's what I can do sort of thing.
2: Yeah, it it was uh, interesting because I I think that... uh, you know, you get an opportunity to, uh, you know, negotiate while what, what you're a free agent. Uh, when you think about it, you know, by the time you start signing and playing in the minor leagues, you know, maybe you're five years, maybe six years in the mix, and then you get to the big leagues. It's not until, technically speaking, 12 years, you know, of your career, when you're allowed to actually see what's out there and maybe uh, do a little bit of uh, exploration to see if there's another opportunity out there that might be better for the, you know, from the one that you have. Uh, So I think every player that has an opportunity to become a free agent, I think, oh, they owe it to themselves to at least, you know, look into the possibility. Maybe they may not, they may, may not be, uh, the grass may not be greener on the other side, but at the same time, you want to make that decision of remaining in your team, knowing that you have, Ex, you know, exhausted all the other options and you feel like that decision is the best one for you.
1: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were most seriously considering also the Red Sox and the Diamondbacks at that time, right?
2: Yeah, those were the two most serious offers. I mean, I had, a, I think it was Mr. Duquette from uh, Boston at yep. the time. Uh, and then uh, I had a, a tough one on, uh, in, the, in Arizona because Buck Showalter was the one, the architect of that team. Uh, subsequently ended up winning uh, you know uh, the championship in 2001. Uh, but at the time he was there and uh, they flew me out to Arizona and they had a locker with my jersey on it and all spotlighted and <laughs> it was very tempting. Uh, and uh, you know sometimes I wonder uh, how my career would have turned or what my career would have turned into had I made those decisions. Uh, but, I mean, all in all, I cannot really second-guess myself too much because uh, playing with the Yankees after my free agent year, uh, we won again in 99 and then again in 2000. We were in the World Series in 2001 and then back in 2003. So, I mean, as a player, that's where you want to be. You want to have the opportunity to play in the postseason and hopefully in the World Series. And I had that
1: and then some. I'm happy you stayed, too. Just, just saying. Um, yeah. And then obviously '06, your career ends. Uh, did you want to play longer?
2: I think I kind of wanted to play a little longer. Uh, I, I don't know. I think, you know, it's kind of like the sa- the thing that happens, which is, I think in my mind, ineb- inevitably, uh, that it is something that will happen whether you like it or not. And uh, I think it's just to say goodbye. Uh, there's always, there's never a good moment to say goodbye. Uh, cause as a player, you, you keep, uh, telling yourself that you can do these things. Uh, and you get frustrated when people are not agreeing with you. <laughs> uh, so it's hard to, uh, kind of like, uh, saying, you know what? I think this might be the end of this particular road and then it might be time to pick up on another one and, and, and keep uh, living your life the way, the best way you can. Uh but I mean, at the time, I felt like I probably have maybe one or two more years under my belt. But I have this other incentive of becoming uh, more artistic and uh, pursue uh, my music uh, with a little bit of uh, a more seriousness, intention uh, to it. So, uh, uh, you know, I wonder if I would have played that maybe a couple more years. Maybe my numbers would have been a little bit better. Uh, but at the same time, I'm glad that I made the decision that I made. Now I'm... Um, having a great time pursuing my music and all my different endeavors with uh charity things that i'm doing and uh you know trying to help the community so it's a win-win
1: yeah so it sounds like i don't know maybe there was a little bit of um bitterness at the time that the yankees didn't want to bring you back but obviously water under the bridge at this point and, and yeah no I think there's
2: always that certain amount of bitterness because you you it's like you know it's it's like i said before you you kind of keep telling yourself you can do this you can do this but when you have you know the team not really believing in the same way that you are, then you know it's just one of those. Well, if, if they don't want me to play for them, then why should I keep pursuing this? Uh, so it was more like you know, this other thing is calling me now, uh, and it's it has been uh, my you know, so one of my lifelong dreams, and it's uh, very attractive right now. I get an opportunity to uh, reinvent myself and kind of go into this direction, uh, so. I mean, how lucky I am that I can pursue two different passions in one lifetime, and uh, and still be you know try to be kind of decent at both.
1: Better, better than decent, Bernie. Better than decent. Uh, I wanna I wanna ask you a couple uh, rapid fire questions, um, and then we're definitely gonna talk about the one liver to love initiative. Other than yourself, who did you want up
2: most in a big situation in a postseason game? Uh, well, it depends. I mean, you talking about. Uh, a team that had a plethora of, of clutch hitters. I mean, in, in any given moment in the history of that tenure, you have multiple people just kind of coming through, when uh, and from the most unlikely places. I mean, you're talking about Shane Spencer, you know, in that series that he had. You talk about Paul O'Neill. You talk about obviously Derek Jeter. Uh, you talk about Tino Martinez hitting that home run, you know, and uh, um, you know against the uh, the Diamondbacks, you know. Uh, uh was it Diamondbacks or the Braves? 99. Yeah, it was.
1: The, it was the you're talking about 2001 when you guys came back at home time after yeah. time. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and do you have? I mean, uh, Hideki Matsui, I think, could be like right up there with all of them. Uh, so I think we we had a, we had a, we did not have any, uh, you know, uh, uh, need for players coming out of the clutch in those in those times. Yeah. They may not be, may not being like the power sluggers that maybe uh, Judge or Stanton may be nowadays. But we could definitely work the count. We could definitely uh, uh, put some damage and uh, it would be like, you know, like fire ants, you know, (laughs) like everybody together on that that line of, you know, working the counts and uh, putting a lot of pressure on the defense. So
1: one thing you just uh, said was interesting that you couldn't remember if Tino hit the home run against the Diamondbacks
2: or the Braves. Like, do those years blend together in your mind? They do. They do especially when you have an opportunity to go there every post every postseason we had a chance to to do it Uh, you know you talk about all the people that may uh, have played the game for a number of years and never really have an opportunity to go into the postseason uh we were so fortunate that from like from 90 basically from 95 on until i retired we were basically every year uh in the postseason in various capacities. You know, playing the you know the American League um, Pennant, you know, division, and one the once the wildcard thing started, we were there as well. So yeah, I mean it's 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 remarkable when you start thinking about it.
1: I right, I wanna I want you to maybe say a word or a phrase when when you hear these names. Andy Pettit.
2: Um that's probably the picture I would want when the game is on the line. Paul O'Neill Uh, I'm not going to say the cliche is the warrior thing or anything like that. I think it's probably the best person you could meet off the field.
1: Oh, great. So he actually told a story on the Yes broadcast, I think last year, that Joe Torre was going to bench him once in a game for not hustling. Did Joe
2: Torre ever threaten to bench you? Uh, No, no. He actually threatened to fine me if I try to lay a a (laughs) bunt. (laughs) <laughs> you say, you can get the ball out, man. But I, I um, yeah, Joe was very observant. And uh, he knew, I think the one thing that I uh, know about Joe Torre and, and what made him a great manager was that he did not treat everybody uh, with the same sort of cookie, uh, cookie cutter uh, attitude. I think he knew what every player needed to Uh, Be their best, and uh, he took the time to know all the players, to know what was that thing was, and uh, he was just a master of uh, getting us to play at our best in in any given uh, situation.
1: All right, a couple more. How
2: about David Wells? David Wells, he came from the Babe Ruth School of Baseball, play hard on and off the field. (laughs) (laughs) I think he was probably one of the I mean, if you look at him, you know he was—you know—it seems like he was a little bit on the thicker side. Oh, you think? But to me, he was probably one of the best athletes that I've ever seen. You know, with that particular body constitution, he could do a split. I wow. mean, he was very, very athletic, and uh, and he 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 loved life, man. He enjoyed living his life, man. He was he was great.
1: I've had the pleasure of meeting David Wells and I can confirm he loves, he loves
2: life. All right. Alex Rodriguez. Um, he was, um, he was instrumental in the 2009 world series. I, I think his, uh, his relationship with, uh, Derek, uh, deteriorated after he became a Yankee, which is kind of, a uh, uh, an interesting uh note you know uh always played hard and uh had a, a extensive knowledge about the game i mean he lived dream ate slept baseball that was his uh he was very committed to to be a good player
1: could you guys sense that relationship deteriorating as you were in the clubhouse together
2: um not really because you you know you, you you have your own problems to deal with <laughs> you're not really worrying too much about what the person in, on your side is doing uh but i i definitely noticed a certain isolation uh you know the both sides you know they didn't really want to uh talk a little bit uh you know when th- we were off the field uh and uh, alex had his group of people that he liked to hang out with outside of the uh, outside of the team and Derek, uh, you know, had his guys you know that he would, you know, take out for dinner and, uh, uh, and lunch maybe before the games. So, I mean, they, it's, it's like, you know, what, what they said, you don't get to choose your friends when you're in the team, but there is a, certainly a mutual respect, uh, for, you know, from each side.
1: Yeah. And, uh, last one, what about Brian Cashman?
2: Well, he has been, uh, you know, kind of like the, uh, one of one of the architects of this yankee dynasty uh you know for a number of years um he has seen you know the team change uh through maybe about two or three generations of players you know from you start talking about you know when was the first time that he was there as an intern i remember when it, was it uh mid 80s yeah Yeah, and I was—that was probably my beginnings as a minor leaguer. So I saw him kind of go in and and going into the position. uh, I think from uh, was it he uh, uh, he came after Bob Watson, right? Yes,
1: yes, he was appointed GM uh, after Watson.
2: Yep, and he was an intern under Watson.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually pretty crazy to think you start as
2: the intern and then you, and then you become the general manager. And because so he has he has seen the history and he has pretty much well deserved be, being a part of uh, this great Yankee run that we had, you know, over you know the '90s and early 2000s, uh, and uh, well deserved. And he has put his work in, and uh, he has uh, assembled a team of uh, uh, of people that have being able to preserve this uh, sort of Yankee tradition of excellence for these years. Uh, so, I mean, uh, who knows what the future holds for him, but, uh, uh, he has definitely has made his mark in the history of the club.
1: All right, switching gears a little bit. What do you remember about being in Seinfeld? Uh,
2: Jason Alexander was funny. <laughs> that was a funny. Uh, scene. That was a good, Jerry scene. Seinfeld, uh, riding his bicycle to the studio. Uh, <laughs> And uh, just having that, uh, they turned uh, NBC Studios' the parking lot into a pseudo batting cage, uh, oh, wow. and uh, it was just an incredible experience. It's like carry up and wait kind of thing. Okay, do your line. Okay, we got to do them. Do them again. This whole experience about you know, uh, I don't know, performing or, or acting in the sitcom is uh, something very interesting for me.
1: Do you remember your line?
2: Yeah, something about some some hotel in Milwaukee or something like that. I don't know. It was like fifteen seconds of, of uh dubious fame.
1: It was I, I think it was, are you the guy that put us in that Ramada in Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah, something
2: <laughs> like that. Man. I don't no, that. Was, yeah, that was probably one of the latest lines in, in the history of sitcoms. No, TV. I,
1: I thought it was good. You know, to be honest, I think your acting chops were better than Jeters in that scene.
2: <laughs> oh man. But it was fun, though. No. Regardless of it, it, was, uh, it, we were coming out of this high of being, you know, kind of like appointed new world champions of baseball. And uh, we were kind of like, you know, sort of uh, reaping on the, on, the, uh, on the spoils, right? You know, get all these opportunities to talk everywhere. So Seinfeld came up and was like, what? That's yeah. a no-brander. We got to say yes to that.
1: Especially because he's a Mets fan.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, 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 but he was great, man. He, he, he was the, the whole thing was just a, a really cool thing to be be a part of.
1: Yeah. All right. So I, I do want to definitely ask you about one liver to love initiative and why. Uh, tell everyone why is this so important to you?
2: Uh, well, one liver to love uh, is an initiative that is geared towards uh, raising awareness about liver cancer and uh, liver disease. I have uh, people close and dear to my heart that there are past now, but had to deal with liver disease when, you know, when they were living. My mom, my grandfather, and my uncle, uh, and a couple other relatives suffer from liver disease that could have led to liver cancer. So, uh, I had to deal with kind of as a young adult, you know, dealing with that, taking care of my mom, making sure that she had all her medications. And uh, she developed hepatitis C from a blood transfusion, uh, back in the day. Uh, and, uh, it, uh, it is basically geared towards, you know, telling my story, uh, trying to raise awareness. Uh, we know how, uh, you know, uh, these uh, diseases have a very uh, increased percentage of uh, afflicting uh, uh, communities of color uh, and uh, disproportionately uh, uh, there's this disparity with people that are underserved and under, uh, you know, the underprivileged. That uh, are more susceptible to uh, suffer from uh, these uh, diseases and may not have access to the uh, educational resources uh, that are out there. So I'm trying to lend my likeness to raise awareness about this, and it's more common than people think. So uh, it's just about you know getting into good healthy habits. You know, getting your sleep, getting your rest. You know, getting a uh, uh, good nutrition when when possible, and uh, just uh, you know addressing uh, mental health things that may uh, affect you know, uh, these uh, liver diseases.
1: Yeah, you're calling it the, uh, the four basis approach, nutrition, exercise, sleep, hygiene, and mental health. What, do you, what are you doing for exercise these days?
2: Well, I mean, I'm trying to uh, stay current, uh, you know, trying to get moving, uh, but uh, baseball was a murder on my body. It, it took a toll. I mean, I had two knee surgeries. I'm, I'm slated for another, like, you know, uh, knee replacement thing going. Uh, so I'm trying to do the best that I can to try to stay uh, a little bit off uh, you know, my weight a little bit off so I don't have that much pounding on my knees and uh, trying to get uh, moving uh, now in the second part of my life as a musician and getting a into a lot of traveling. So staying active that way, it really helps. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing. And it,
1: obviously mental health is, is important too. That's certainly become more commonplace in today's society. And, and the Yankees have a mental health coach, and I know a lot of sports franchises do as well. Was that something that
2: that was around
1: when you were playing?
2: I think the beginnings of it uh, were starting to sort of come around. I think that uh, the team has been around for such a long time, but I do think that Mr. Steinbrenner was very progressive when he came down to preparation and uh, being at the sort of the cutting edge of technology uh, even back in, uh, you know, late eighties, mid nineties, I mean, he was involved with the, uh, Olympic committee. Uh, he had, uh, scores of nutritionists and, uh, mental health doctors come in, uh, and uh, actually, you know, we were able to consult with them and, uh, you know, talk about, you know, our nutritional choice choices and, uh, dealing with anxiety and, and part of the mental game that is so important as being, a. uh. Uh, you know be, being a professional athlete especially a baseball player because you have to deal with adversity so often that uh, you, you're most likely to get down and be depressed and anxious about these things if you don't know how to handle them.
1: yeah well bernie this was an absolute thrill for me thank you so much for for taking the time and i uh, hope everyone goes out and uh definitely checks out one liver to love and of course follow bernie thank you thank you so much man. thank you for having me